You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, once again, good morning to all of you. So glad that you are here with us. Um, if you happen to be our guest this morning, once again, you're a welcome addition to our, to our community here and to all of those of you who are watching, listening online, welcome. Welcome as well. So we're going to dive right into to God's Word now. And as we do so, um, I'm, we're going to step in a kind of a time machine and reach back into the archives and go back to an earlier part of my life. I want to tell you a story that I think introduces really where, where we're headed here this morning. And actually, this was just yesterday. This is a recent picture of Jamie and me. Um, no, not really. I know Jamie hasn't changed at all, but I have a little bit since, since then. But that's me and my, my high school girlfriend, Jamie. And uh, this was shortly after this motorcycle, and that's really what I want you to focus on is the red motorcycle here, that had been given to me by, by my grandma. Um, my grandma and grandpa had a pair of these. One was yellow, one was red. The red one was given to me right before I was to head off to college. And in this season, my, my grandpa had, had passed away some years earlier, so my grandma lived alone. And it just so happened that she lived in um, Central Point, which is a, kind of part of Medford, and, um, or you guys on the outskirts of Medford. And um, I ended up going to school to Southern Oregon State. Um, land of Shakespeare and Ashland there. So I was living in Ashland for four years, and my primary means or mode of transportation was this, was this motorcycle. And in all fairness, it was, a, it was a small motorcycle. My friend used to give me a really bad time and call it a moped. It was not a moped. It was a motorcycle, a little 90cc Honda Trail 90. And on a good day with a tailwind going downhill, it could do like 55, 60 miles an hour, depending on how much I'd eaten that day and what have you and those other variables. And so I would take my life into my hands and ride it from Ashland to Central Point to occasionally go visit my grandma. And so I remember this one day where I'm, you know, suited up in my leathers and my big spike dog collar. And no, I didn't wear any of that. But, but I'm riding on my little motorcycle, you know, when I, it's firewalled and I'm going as fast as I can. And, you know, kids on trikes are passing me and <laughs> birds fly by and joggers wave at me as they go by me, you know. And I finally got to my grandma's house about 30 minutes later. And um, it was a great arrangement because like I mentioned at this point in my grandma's um, season of life, she was a widow and she had been so for many years. And she would cook for me and of course spoil me and do what grandmas do to, to grandkids. And I in turn would just help her take care of her place and do work around there. She had about an acre of, um, of some pasture land and some field and, and she tended to all of it. She was very capable, very reliant, very independent, self-reliant, very independent. And so... This one trip in particular, I remember going and being with her, and I remember we were out walking um, in the backyard, and it was kind of a defining moment for me because of what she said. As we were walking along, she said, you know, your grandpa, he left me in a really comfortable place financially. I don't hurt for money. You know, I, I'm not rich, but I have as much as I could ever want or need. But then she stopped and paused, and it was one of the only times I ever heard my grandma say this, but she said, you know, I would give all that money back if I could just have your grandpa back for five more minutes. And my grandma never talked like this. I mean, she missed him, and we would talk about him, but that, that kind of, even as a young collegiate, made me stop and ponder for a minute. What, 
what is the weight of what she's saying there? That she would give literally all that she has to just have five more minutes with this person she loved. I bet many of us could say the same. I mean, you know my story, many of you, and those of you who have been a part of our church family, there's just been so many losses in our family, especially clustered in the last three years. And I just lost another aunt, one of my favorite aunts, you know, a couple weeks ago. It's just that season of of life for us. And and I would give anything to, to just have more time with them. And I bet the same is true for you. Now, I want you to go a little bit further down the road with me with this. So what if the Lord had granted my grandma's request? And what if, and go with me here, what if my grandpa had resurrected, he had come back to life? And now, as they were sitting down to eat, she was sitting across the table from him. I mean, what would she be feeling? How would she respond to that? And as you and I begin to get our hands around that, now we begin to enter into our story today. If you haven't been with us, at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus is making some final assertions and signs about who he is and about his identity. And this culminates in him raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is resurrected. And so now we have this picture in this passage today of here's this meal, really this celebration being held in Lazarus's honor. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, are sitting across from him. And Mary is going to have this response that I think is indicative, at least in part, of her gratefulness of what God has done. Her brother had died, and now, because of Jesus, he's been resurrected, and he's sitting right across from her. But there's even more going on in this story than that. And there's some profound spiritual realities for you and I to recognize and respond to here this morning. So that's what we're going to do as we enter back into the Gospel of John once again. This is John chapter 12, and this is the anointing of Jesus. And this is what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Jesus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So we'll work our way back through this amazing passage. And as we do so, remember that where we left off last week, the Jewish leadership had decided formally that they were now going to kill Jesus because he had resurrected Lazarus from the dead and there was just no stopping this volume of people who continued to recognize his true identity, Jesus's, and then to choose to believe in him. 
So this was a defining moment. They decide they're going to kill Jesus. Jesus, knowing this, withdraws for a handful of days. And they watch and they wait for the opportunity to arrest him and then to, to murder him. And so now, Jesus and the disciples, in an act of great courage, are back on the outskirts of Jerusalem in Bethany. And this really is the last week of Jesus' life. And so we have this familiar picture. So Martha is serving. And we've seen that before in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus comes and visits them. Lazarus is around the table with Jesus. And Mary, Mary does something that no one else does. And she takes this pint of pure nard, this expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus's, on Jesus's feet. And we know from the parallel accounts of this story in Matthew and in Mark, she actually dumped it on Jesus's head which was customary. And then there was so much, because it was a pint, it went over his clothes and then down to his, to his feet. And we'll look at that dynamic in just a minute. But this, this whole idea of anointing, understandably, is a little unfamiliar to us, maybe even a little weird. I mean, can you imagine today after, you know, church, you, you, are, you go home and maybe you invite some friends over, or you're having dinner together or supper or whatever it is, and you sit down and, and you decide to get up and take the bottle of ketchup and dump it on your guest's head and say, I'm anointing you, you know, to, to bless you. What? And okay, calm down, Pastor Jay, it wasn't ketchup, it was perfume. Okay, but even if you and I did that with perfume, you know, probably wouldn't be honoring someone, we'd be antagonizing them, right? What are you doing? But anointing was a really significant part of Near Eastern culture. It was something that was done as an act of grooming. After a long journey, it was, it was done to honor a guest by way of refreshment. It was also done as an act of medicinal treatments at times. And it was also an act done prior to, to burial or as part of burial. So it had all these all these significant meanings attached to it. It was a way to honor someone. It was a way to celebrate someone. It was an act of distinguishing someone as special. And it was also indicative, indicative of choice, of choosing someone for something special. If you'll think back with me, for those of you who know your Bibles to the Old Testament, how many Old Testament kings do we see being anointed? And that was a way of saying this is the king who is recognized by God and the people as, as the king. So, so it goes, this, this, this wasn't uncommon. This happened often, but not in this way. Jesus' anointing is absolutely remarkable because of Mary doing it and how she does it. It says that she took a pint of pure nard. Now, this was profoundly expensive, incredibly rare perfume. It was imported from India. It was, it was something that only the very rich or those who had the means to, to have access to were able to ever use. And she doesn't just pour a little bit. She pours a lot. This is an extravagant value that, that she's investing here. And it says she poured it on Jesus' feet. Well, she poured it over his head and it, it went down to his, to his feet. And that was customary, but not that much. This was an extravagant amount. Everything about this is extravagant. And then it says she wiped his feet with her hair. And again, if you remember in Near Eastern culture, it was customary to, to, to wash your feet because again, when you came in and sat down for a meal, your feet were usually dirty because your primary mode of transportation back then was your feet. And so people would walk around in these sandals and they got dirt and dung and, you know, you fill in the blanks with what else they got on their feet. No one wanted to wash someone else's feet. That was something reserved for a slave. In fact, 
it had to be a non-Jewish slave. It was, it was thought that that's even too debasing, too devaluing for a Jewish slave to do. And here's Mary wiping Jesus' feet, and she's wiping his feet with her hair, which again is astounding and extravagant. It's, it's, extra, it's an extravagant act, and it's extravagant humility. Once again, in that culture, it was inappropriate for a woman to let down her hair unless she was in private with her husband. And women who let down their hair in public were sending a message about their morality and about their availability. And so you would never, as a woman, let down your hair in this kind of a situation unless what you were doing was extravagantly humble. Unless you were communicating, I don't care what you think of me because I I love this person. And so everything about this is extravagant, including the cost. Now, don't answer out loud, but think about this. How much money do you make in a year? Okay, now you have that idea in your mind. Can you imagine investing that, giving that, sacrificing that to anoint someone? Who does that? I don't have a year of disposable wages to to use like that. I mean, this is extravagant sacrifice because it's an extravagant gift. And, And I look at this and I think, you probably look at this too, and reasonably we ask, why? Why would she do this when no one else is doing it? Either they wouldn't or they they couldn't. She is the one who is who is anointing Jesus. And again, we we have a hint as to why she's doing this because who is sitting across the table from Jesus? Her brother who was dead. How would you or I respond if Jesus had resurrected one of our loved ones back to life? Wouldn't we be grateful? Wouldn't we be excited? Wouldn't we be profoundly moved by that? So this begins to make some sense, but there's even more going on, I think, than this, what else has Jesus done for her? Not just brought her brother back from the dead. What has he done for her? And again, we, we, have a, we have a hint, we have some idea of how to answer that question. If we go back and think back just a chapter back and a couple weeks back in our study of the Gospel of John, when Lazarus was dead and, and Jesus deliberately delayed in coming back so that he could resurrect him back to life. The sisters didn't know that. And you remember Martha and Mary were both heartbroken. And Martha comes running out to Jesus, just probably like you and I would, in her disappointment, in her anguish, in her sorrow, and says, Lord, where were you? And remember how he responds to her. I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me show you. And then he resurrects Lazarus. But there is the promise of life. Life for Mary, life for Martha, life for all those who will believe. Life not just in the future, but life now. He's promised to give her life. And it's a promise for you and me as well. So, so how do you respond to a God who does that for you? Man, you do what Mary did. You worship him. 
how can you not respond in any other way? So let's, let's do business with that for a minute. What do you have in Jesus? How has he changed your life? How has he given you hope? When we worship, when we sing these songs together, when we gather together necessarily like this as a community, why? What, what are you responding to in your life? And so often what we think about is what we don't have or what's not going right or what we're struggling with. Okay, well, what do you have? What is Jesus doing in your life? What has he done for you? What prayers is he answering? How has he shown himself faithful to you? Oh, we're so quick to forget. But there's another way to look at this necessarily as well. Where would your life be without Jesus? What would you be doing? What would your life look like? What would mine? You know, going back to my college days once again, I got a snapshot into this. Not everyone gets this, but I saw the past that could have been my reality. So again, a number of you know my story, but I received Jesus into my life as a high school student at a Young Life summer camp, my end of my freshman year in high school, and I moved from Eugene after I'd done that up here to Portland because this is where my dad got his next construction job and that's the season of life when I came up to, to Portland. And so I was in Portland a you know, handful of years and then I went back to school at Southern Oregon State. So I hadn't seen any of my friends from Eugene and these friends really who I'd grown up with through middle school and first year of high school for like five years. And then one day, I think it was my junior year of college, um, I'm over at this residence hall that I'm not normally in and it's a Friday night and people are gathering to party and get drunk and do what a lot of people did. And so in walks this guy into the room and I couldn't believe it. It was Gary. Gary was one of my friends from when I was in Springfield. I mean, Eugene, it had been five years since I'd seen this guy. And I said, Gary, dude. And so we begin to talk and catch up a little bit. And, uh, and I just begin to quiz him about my circle of friends. He was one of them, but there were a number of others. These, these friends who I'd played sports with and done life with and just I'd basically grown up with. And I begin to ask and quiz him, okay, well, well, what's going on with him? Oh, yeah, well, you know, um, he, he kind of got into drugs and he's just, that, that's where he's at now. Okay. Well, well, what about him? Oh, well, you know, he, um, he started dating in high school one of your ex, you know, middle school girlfriends. And again, you know, middle school girlfriends and relationships. You send a note to this girl you like. Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. And sometimes it comes back, yes. And you're in this wonderful, life-changing relationship for two weeks. And then it's no. You know, so, you know, that kind of girlfriend. But so he and this girl, you know, begin sleeping together in, in high school. And they drop out of high school. She becomes pregnant. And they have a son. And then he leaves her. And now she's a single mom. And then this other friend who um, is just doing enough to make enough money to be able to party on the weekends and cover his bills and, and that's it. And there wasn't anything wrong with what he was doing for work. It was the reality that his ambition was just to party and just kind of to get by. And he continued to go down the list of my friends and there were very, very similar stories. And I thought, my friends were everything to me in those years. And without Jesus and a, and a better reason, and the, re and the life and the hope that he gives, 
I'm convinced that would have been me. And it was a defining moment for me where I saw a counter life of what could have been my life. And not all of us get that. But I would ask you again, where would you be without Jesus today? Now, as you picture that, as you balance that necessarily with where are you with Jesus today? What has he done for you? What do you have to be grateful for? How has he changed your life? What is the hope he's giving you? That fuels worship. And just so we're on the same page, worship is more than singing songs. It's more than this. Worship at its heart is about a lifestyle. And everybody does it. Religious or irreligious, spiritual or seeing themselves as unspiritual. Everyone is hardwired to worship. The issue isn't if you worship, the issue is what do you worship? Something or someone has your loyalties, gets your resources, is the focus, is the bent, is the orientation of your life. The real question isn't if you and I worship, it's who or what are we worshiping? Do you worship the one true God? And when we talk about the extravagant grace of God, again, grace is God's unmerited, unearned, freely given love for the sake of right relationship with him and right relationship with others and its empowerment to serve him and others. And the reality is, for every human heart, regardless of culture, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of timeline, or generation, apart from Jesus, we all start out in the same place. We have this bent not to worship Jesus, but to worship me. Instead of worshiping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, life apart from Jesus ultimately gets distilled down to me, myself, and I. We have this bent inward, and we have this selfish, self-focused bent that apart from Jesus, religion won't change it. Being a better person won't change it. Having a better morality won't change it. We, we need a brand new heart. We need a heart transplant. And it only comes through knowing the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, by receiving him into your life. And if you and I don't do business with that, if you don't do business with what the Bible calls the sin, the selfishness that lurks within every human heart, there's something that happens, and here it comes, exhibit A. Last week, the religious leaders decided to kill Jesus, and now that expands. Now they decide to kill Lazarus too. Sin always grows. It does. It deepens, it expands, it widens, and you know, this is interesting to me. I'd never really noticed before. They have to kill Lazarus to shut him up. But remember, a lot of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling leadership, the religious ruling leadership, they're Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And here's Lazarus having dinner with everybody. So that's, that's inconvenient. <laughs> we don't believe in the resurrection. But one just happened. How do you explain that? I don't know. We better kill him and shut him up. I mean, it's just... Really? Wow. 
But there is an antidote to sin. And Mary models it to us that when you've received Jesus, when you know Jesus, when you've received him into your life, then life doesn't always have to be all about you. In fact, you have this empowerment, this ability to find life, not just in serving yourself, but in serving others. And what does, Jesus, what does Mary do? She profoundly, powerfully, generously, sacrificially serves Jesus. And I think it's because she recognizes what he's done for her. He's not just given her her brother back, he's given her her life back. Life how she was always intended to live it, with hope and joy and, and, and purpose. And man, is this instructive for you and me. For those of us who know Jesus, instead of just serving your own interests, how are you serving the interests of others? How are you serving those in your life? Because when you serve others, you're actually serving God and bringing honor to him. But how you do it matters, not just that you do it. What is your attitude? What is your motives? Do you, do you serve reluctantly, resentfully, grumbling along the way? Is that how Jesus serves us? And the answer is no. Therefore, we serve others the way he first served us, sacrificially, generously, willingly, like Mary does in this amazing story. Which, you know, brings us back to some application for you and me. We are to live a lifestyle of serving. And, and serving is something we do as a community. And, and our job, our role, I think, as a leadership is to give you opportunities to do that. Remember this? Eric was talking about this earlier in, in highlights. It's right there in front of you. At any point, you have a mechanism, a means by which you can enter into community here and serve others. And I'll tell you unapologetically that one of the best ways to have deeper relationships, to meet other people, to have deeper community, especially if you're newer to our church family, is to roll up your sleeves and do something. Is to serve. And that's not a got to do. That's a get to do. Man, there is a joy and a fulfillment that comes from, from serving the Lord and serving others, especially when it is motivated by a heart that recognizes what he's done for you, how he served me, how he's, how he's served you. And if I can just push that a little bit further, one of the things I love about Vacation Bible School is there is a fit, there is a place for literally all of you to serve in some way, shape, or form. There's a number of you, you just can't give a week's time to VBS. Many of you can, and we love you for it. Many of you can't. We love you for that too. So do what you can do. There, you don't have to serve all week to have a skin in the game of, with, of VBS. It is such a massive, by design, endeavor and such an all-hands-on-deck event for us as an outreach into the community. We have something you can do one day. We have something you can do a couple days. We have things you can do before VBS, things you can do after VBS. You're going to want to have a skin in the game with this. And we're moving this to the evening strategically because we're trying to reach a part of the community that we've never really been able to put our full weight behind in reaching. And we're really excited about the possibility of that. And some of you are rightfully saying, well, I work all day. I know, me too. <laughs> Believe it or not, Sunday is not my only work day. I, I do a little other things as well. And Eric, who is standing up here, man, that guy works for UPS. He's, he's crazy busy. And after work, he's going to come and do what he can do. Me, me too. 
The elders and I have moved our meeting that week so that we can serve along with you at VBS. So we'll move on here, but I hope you'll consider having a skin in the game with this because there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing lives changed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, most of you believe that. We'll work on the rest. Yes, absolutely. So let's continue on in our story. Judas immediately criticizes Mary for what she's doing. And we have his motives explained to us here by John with a little commentary he gives us. And Jesus defends her. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And this, this is kind of a counterexample to what we saw last week. Here's Caiaphas, the chief priest, who is unwittingly prophesying truth and saying, you know what, it's better for the whole nation that one man dies, not just for us, but for all the scattered children of God to make them one. Did he have any idea what he was saying? No. Was that what happened? And it is happening? Yeah, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's Mary as a, as a positive example of that. She's honoring Jesus in the moment, but probably has no idea that she's preparing him for his burial by, by anointing him in this way. It's just, it's, it's pretty amazing. And by the way, when we're talking about the anointing of Jesus, I hope we appreciate the layers of what that means. Those of you who know your Bibles, you remember in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus first really begins to announce who he is and his identity, says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has what? Anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. But the amazing thing, the amazing picture in this story is the anointed one is being anointed. By, by Mary. And what's so fascinating to me, this was kind of like an aha as I was thinking about all this and preparing for this. Do you remember what Messiah means, literally? Do you not remember what Christ means, literally? The anointed one. Jesus's very titles aren't just names. They, they are realities about who he is as the anointed one, meaning that the identity of Jesus matters. And so does mine and so does yours. What is the fundamental question that our culture is wrestling with in every sector, in every area of life manageable? Identity. Who are you? Who, who am I? How do you identify? What do you identify as? And we're talking far more than gender and sexuality. This question is being asked across the breadth of our culture. And, and how's it going? Well, how does it go? How does it work when a broken, sinful culture filled with broken, sinful people are telling one another who they are? How well is that working for us? It's not working real great. In fact, it's a train wreck. Dumpster fire. Any other metaphor you can plug into that. It's just, it's not working. And this is why, and this is fundamentally important, and this is a shout out to Tim Keller, who's one of my preaching mentors who went home to be with the Lord this weekend, if you didn't hear. Only Jesus, only Jesus gives you and I an identity that isn't achieved, it is received. I will say it again. Only in Jesus will you find an identity that is received and not achieved. And that is a game changer and a life changer because what is our broken culture doing? 
trying to find an identity that works. But this true identity that Jesus gives each and every one of us is an identity that you don't earn, you don't perform for, you don't have to get it from what other people think or say about you, you don't have to mine it off of social. It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what ultimately what God thinks. So what does God say about you and me? That is our true identity. And by the way, do you realize in terms of identity reality that he chose you? When's the last time you and I stopped and thought about for a minute? Do you realize scripture declares he chose you? And he chose me. Ephesians 1.4 in the New Testament says this. For he chose us in him. In him is Jesus. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely and blameless in his sight. Well, why did he do that? He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done. That's empty religion that says we can do something to earn his grace. No. But because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. My friends, the anointed one has anointed me and you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Which means in part, he has chosen you. There is no one here that is the leftovers. You are in the kingdom of God and I am in the kingdom of God because he chose us to be in his kingdom and we have chosen to respond. Well, how do you know when he's chosen you? When you've chosen him. Because you need his help in order to believe. And so when you respond to that, you enter into the kingdom of God and your life changes. Because we're anointed, it also means we're empowered. And that has significance on two significant areas. The first is in this battle that you and I still do with, with our new hearts. This battle that we fight every day with sin and selfishness. And that gravitational pull to be bent inward and to make life all about us. In our battle with that, the reality is, and this is from Gary Brashears, and I love this because it's true. Our deepest desire, not necessarily our strongest desire in the moment, but our deepest desire is always to trust and obey Jesus if you know him. Your deepest desire, my deepest desire, because of the new heart we've been given through knowing Jesus Christ, is to trust and obey him. It may not be the strongest desire in the moment, but it's the deepest desire. Do I believe that? Mm, sometimes. Yeah, that's the problem, Jay. That's reality. You can anchor yourself. I can anchor myself to that. The other side of that is because we've been anointed, because we've been empowered, you can live a life of blessing. You can trust and obey God. Even when he doesn't make sense. Even when your situation and circumstances say you can't. You can. Yes, you can choose to trust him. You can live a life of, of blessing. A life that trusts and obeys him. Gosh, I was reminded of this yesterday. In this very place was a retirement celebration for Dr. Bob Sison. Bob Sison is the founder of the Good News Clinic. It's one of our ministry partners here. And for those of you who don't know the story, it's a beautiful, powerful story. So in 2006, in, in one of the 
initiatives that we as a, as a really a capital church see here in East County did was we did this thing called Compassion Rockwood where we extended free medical services and resources to folks who were underinsured or had no insurance who were really just in a difficult place and needed help. And Dr. Sison was a part of that and coming out of that he was really compelled to do something more long-standing and sustainable that helped the community. And so he sold a lucrative, comfortable practice and sold his home and used those resources to launch the Good News Clinic in 2006. And yesterday was this necessary celebration of this amazing man who's now retiring from that, but who has put in motion a legacy of changed lives that hopefully sustains for generations. Thousands and thousands of volunteer hours have been given at this clinic through Dr. Sison and the medical staff and many of you who have volunteered there. I mean, gosh, our own Maxine Lawrence is the executive director there now. But all that being said, here's a man who took the empowerment of what God has done for him and said, you know what? I'm going to live that out in a different way. I'm going to live that out in a radical way. And when he did it at the time, people said, you're crazy. And he said, yes, I am. I'm crazy to see God do something big in this community and I believe he can because I know him and I love him and I worship him and he did. Thousands of people in our community who would have never gotten medical care of any kind have received it and on along the way they've heard about Jesus and many of them have entered the kingdom as a result. And I want to live like that. I want to believe God for big things. I want to live out the reality that I'm anointed, that I'm loved, that I'm chosen, that I don't just have to settle for serving myself. I can serve others and like it and get joy from it and see impact from it and worship God as a result. And the same is true for you if you know Jesus. So my friends, today, this is an opportunity for another defining moment. Life is a series of defining moments in our spiritual journey with Jesus. So what's yours today? Some of you, it means you need to choose Jesus. You know that you haven't. I mean, you may like him and hear, to your credit, you're here and you're listening and stuff, but do you know him? Is, is he your God and you in your heart of hearts? No, he's not by how you're living your life. Your defining moment today is to receive him into your life today, now. And we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that here in just a minute. For some of you, your defining moment as our worship team comes and we prepare to respond in music worship, your defining moment is to stop and remember and then celebrate what he's done for you. Man, we, we are creatures who forget. I forget the defining moments of God in my life. I become so focused on what's right here, what I don't have, what's going wrong, what's not working out right, what's not going my way. And instead, I miss the bigger picture of God still at work. And look what God has done and look what God's doing and look what he promises to do. When's the last time you gave some meaningful time to that? This is, this is your opportunity to stop and pause and remember what he's done for you. And man, for some of you, you need to get baptized. You know and love Jesus, but you've never expressed that through baptism. Man, we would love to have you do that. I promise the water's warm. It's, it's ready. We have clothes for you to wear. It's okay you didn't come prepared to get baptized. Many of our people who get baptized aren't prepared. In fact, literally almost every time we do a baptism, we have folks who choose to get baptized who weren't planning on it when they came through the doors. Myself, 
Pastor Stephen, our student ministry pastor, we're going to be over there as we begin to sing these songs. Would you come talk to one of us if you haven't been baptized? We'd love to get you ready to do that and, and, we'll, and we'll baptize you. And we have a baptism that we'll get to see that is planned um, here in just a little bit. But let me pray God's blessing over us as we prepare to respond. Lord, I thank you for Mary's example of worship and serving and, and generosity and sacrifice because it is fueled by what you did for her. And so is our response. Our worship response is fueled by what you have done for us. So Lord, all of us here who know you, we pray for those who maybe don't, who are listening to this, watching this, that they would choose to receive you into their lives, that this would be the defining moment where they say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I receive you into my life. And Lord, for those of us who know you, boy, anyone here who's wrestling with, with getting baptized, I pray they'd have the courage to step forward and do that. And for those of us who know you, who have been baptized, Lord, help us remember what you've done for us and then to worship you as a result. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it. Would you please stand with me? So I have a question for you. Who's, who's next? So we got plenty of water. I promise it's warm. And we have clothes for you. We'd love to baptize you. And I know there's probably some of you who are thinking about it. And for those of you who are watching, listening online, we've literally had people drive after hearing this to the next service in order to get baptized. So we have another service and we would love to baptize you there if you haven't had a chance to take that defining moment opportunity to, to tell everybody that you love Jesus. You know, we worship him because of what he's done for us. Because what he's rescued us from and what he's leading us to. And he promises life not just in the future, but life now. And because of what he's done for us, we look for opportunities to serve other people. And we do that because those who have been served know how to serve others. And you can live this life. And I can too. Because he chose you. And he chose me and has empowered us, anointed us by his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray this for you and I'm going to pray this for me. As we go from here by way of living this out, I'm going to ask that God would give you an opportunity today to serve someone in Jesus' name. You may not hear a thank you. It may not even be acknowledged. And that's okay because by serving them, you are serving him. And that delights him. So let me pray his blessing over each one of us. Lord, I, I pray for all of us that we would take you at your word, that we would believe you for what you say. And so, Lord, if there's anyone who's watching, listening in the room here who has chosen to receive you into their lives, Lord, would they now live that life-changing reality out as they go from here, would they tell someone who brought them or tell one of us? Because we'd love to celebrate with them. But Lord, we celebrate that you are the God who changes lives. For those of us who are still wrestling with thinking through whether we really want to follow you or not, would your spirit continue to speak into our hearts and lives, calling us to what's true, what's real, what's right before you and others? 
And would we settle and compromise for nothing less than what you have for each one of us? And God, for those of us who know you, would we remember who we are? We are so forgetful. I lose sight of the fact you chose me. You have empowered me. You've anointed me to live the very life I'm looking for. I pray for myself and all of us here that we would stop looking for life in those things that are broken and that ultimately rob us of life, but that we would remember who you are and who we are and live accordingly. And lastly, for all of us, give us the chance to serve someone today, if not today, this week, in your name, so that you would be honored and glorified because you are the one who has first served us through Jesus. And Lord, all this we pray to you, knowing that you're with us, remembering your promises, and walking in the power of your spirit as we go from here. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. And you know what I'm gonna say. Go and live for him. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.